Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this morning alongside Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Good morning, Jason. I'm, I am doing absolutely great. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful. I, I said alongside Bill Alexander. I'm really alongside my laptop looking at Bill Alexander because, Bill, you're uh, you're taking some time off for some respite at the beach, but you're you're still waking up on a Saturday morning to uh, to do the show here. Well, you know, people should know that uh, this this comes uh, uh, this this is just part of social distancing, <laughs> uh, and that uh, we are using a technology that um, a lot of folks are getting familiar with, and that's Zoom. Uh, and, and so, um, actually, you know, in my law office, I've been doing a lot of of, of consultations. Uh, with Zoom. Uh, obviously, we can't uh, sign our documents <laughs> this way uh, because of uh, many of the legal requirements. You know, there are contracts and things that people can sign uh, electronically, but legal documents uh, are not <laughs> that kind of thing that we can do. But, you know, uh, being able to see people on Zoom and, and uh, counsel them and of course, you know, you, you know, uh, Jason. This is also the technology that we use for our webinars, uh, uh, which has been very successful. I can actually have up to hundred people uh, on on my webinars. I've never had quite that many, uh, uh, but uh, uh, the technology works great. Um, although I will say this: the first time I did a webinar months ago, uh, very few people in that group actually uh, use the video. So I was talking to almost a blank screen and I just, I had to accuse people of, of uh, being at the webinar in their pajamas, uh, which of <laughs> course you can do. <laughs> it's really pretty funny, but it's, it is, it is a wonderful technology. And of course I have to admit uh, to folks that um I'm actually at the beach uh, doing this. Um, so you don't even have to be at your normal home uh, to be able to successfully uh, use this technology. And, 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 and for seniors, I think this, if you're not already using Zoom or something similar to it, uh, it it's, uh, it's delightful. And it's a way to communicate with family and friends and uh, and the like. And so if you, if folks have not been using it, they really do need to get familiar with it. It's very easy to use. And if, if you want to try it out, Hey, sign up for Bill's webinar coming up, uh, in September, September 9th, the second Wednesday of the month is when Bill will be doing his next round of seminars slash webinars. Go online to wgalaw.com. Click on the seminars button. It's super easy to register and it's free. It's free to attend. All you need is a computer or a smartphone with an, with internet access and an email address and you're good to go. Bill, let's get to the, uh, the first topic at hand on the show. Show today, and you want to talk about gifting? Uh, well, I do, and and some folks would think, well, that doesn't sound like asset protection. But the fact is that that gifting can be far more complex than most people think. There are, there are a lots and lots of tentacles when it comes to gifting, and of, of course, obviously, most people don't think. 
about those kinds of things. Now, obviously, I am when I talk when I'm talking about gifting, I am not in any way, shape, or form talking about traditional small gifts that we give to loved ones, such um, the the type of gifts we give at birthdays and anniversaries and and uh, Christmas time and other holidays or special occasions, small gifts. Uh, I'm not really talking about those types of gifts. Uh, those, I, I hope people are generous with those types of gifts and that, um, and there's really not anything significant that people need to worry about uh, when we talk about small gifts. Uh, traditional gifts, gifts that we historically made uh, or make to our family members and other loved ones. Uh, but there are lots and lots of other issues that come into play when we want to make major gifts. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, I am not truly talking about gifts that we make to our church. You know, if we tithe uh, or, or we make uh, major contributions to our uh, church or synagogue, uh, it, that, uh, again, uh, typically doesn't come with, with any significant issues um, now, the, the only big issue as it relates to those, those uh, types of gifts for most folks, particularly the, the more generous that people are, is the fact that we don't, uh, very few people uh, get a tax deduction anymore on our income tax for being generous to charities and, and our church. Uh, and in fact, that's one of the reasons that some of the churches and synagogues and other charities have been struggling, and they were struggling before COVID-19, and now they're, they're strangling, they're struggling so bad. Well, not, at least that's true for a lot of the charities, particularly the smaller charities um, that don't have a lot of wiggle room, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, so there, you know, there are two things going on. COVID has changed everything. And then the tax laws have changed to where a very few people can deduct their gifts. Um, so there's really only uh, two ways uh, to where you can take advantage. I mean, obviously, those folks who itemize their income tax can actually take a charitable deduction. But the the rest of us and and the majority of people at the, I mean with with rare exceptions there are very few folks that that need to itemize anymore the way the tax code has changed and as a result we don't get a benefit so there's only two ways to get a benefit either we make our gifts through our businesses if we have them and of course a lot of folks don't have a business so that's an option that that's not available to them or for those who have retirement accounts, particularly if they're 72 or over now, which is the new minimum required distribution age uh, under the SECURE Act, you know, it went from 70 and a half to 72. But folks who have to take a distribution from their retirement account 
or have a large retirement account and they would like to use it, they can, um, whatever they can give to charity or their church or synagogue, the um, money that they have pledged from directly from their retirement account. And when they do that, uh, while they don't get a charitable deduction, they, that income is not countable to them. It's, it goes to, to the church, if you will. And the church doesn't have to pay tax on it, which is really nice. So they get 100% of what you send them. And you don't have to pay any income tax on that contribution, even though it came out. In other words, you get credit for it for having um, uh, uh, distributed that amount of money from your retirement account but you don't pay the income tax. Now, what does confuse people with that is that they get a 1099 from their uh, retirement custodian, but that 1099 has um, uh, a code on it that basically says this is not taxable income uh, to, the, um, to the account holder, which is really wonderful. All right, now, the other thing when it comes to seniors is seniors oftentimes want to be generous to their children and grandchildren. I, I see it all the time and I, and I agree with them. I mean, it's not uh, abnormal to want to make gifts to your children and grandchildren. You want to see the sparkle in their eyes from being generous with them. You, you want to help them get ahead. You, you want, uh, you want to see them to be able to enjoy what you might be able to uh, give them uh, rather than waiting, knowing that they're going to enjoy it when you die. Uh, <laughs> so there's, there's, um, there's something to be said, but of course the key is that you're not negatively affecting your own lifestyle or you're not, giving the money you might need uh, away to your children and grandchildren. And, you know, the truth is, for a, an off, it, it's hard to tell your children or your grandchildren no uh, uh, when it comes to their own needs when, when you're taken away from yourself, when you know that by making the gift, you're really putting yourself in danger because one of the fears, uh, legitimate fears of seniors is running out of money during their lifetime. And obviously the more generous we are with our children and grandchildren, uh, the more likely it is or possible that we can in fact run out of money for ourselves. And, and the, the f truth is, is that for a lot of folks, um, it's not going to be reciprocated. In other words, if we run out of money, we can't, we often can't turn to our children or grandchildren for them to pony up or take care of us. You know, we're on our own. Um, and that, um, so the bottom line is seniors need to be very, very careful when it comes to structuring gifts uh, to their children and grandchildren. And one of the the things that seniors uh, really need to be worried about, particularly if they're um, if if they have a modest nest egg, then those folks, uh, uh, you know, as I have 
explained to folks numerous times on this show, most middle-class families can actually get government assistance, Medicaid, if they need nursing facility care. But see, what a lot of folks don't realize is that gifts to children and grandchildren are the very things that that the Department of Social Services is looking for in order to penalize you, or what they call a sanction, for gifts that you've made within five years of the application for Medicaid assistance, if if your loved one needs, if you or your loved one needs nursing care. So you have to factor that in because, you know, most of us can't afford uh, seven to eight to nine thousand dollars a month. Uh, we don't have that much money. I mean, not not that much liquidity. We've run out of money very very quickly, and so gifting actually allows Medicaid to say, "Oh, you're qualified. You don't have anything left." But oh, we see you've given away, you know, seventy thousand dollars over the last five years. So guess what? You don't get Medicaid for a year. Um, and and of course nobody's going to take you if you can't pay them you know you have to understand that nursing homes are private businesses and they have to make money to stay in business uh, and, and that there's there's nothing that requires them to take you in just because you need care so um you know it's a conundrum for for seniors and so um uh, seniors have to be very, very careful. And and the other problem that I see, unfortunately, you know, there's every family's different. And, and those of us who have loving children, who are productive uh, and not needy and more than happy to give back, that's a wonderful situation for uh, any of us. But the fact is there are an awful lot of people out there uh, children, uh, mostly, uh, who think we owe them uh, their, uh, <laughs> you know, in other words, we're supposed to support them their entire life, which is, you know, that's never been true. And I certainly don't believe in that. I think, it, you know, you, you rear them, you educate them, and then you throw them out on their own. <laughs> At least that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and if it's not, it's not our fault. It's it's the children. And, and we have to understand that sometimes we do too much for them and they can be greedy and they have expectations that exceed our ability to help them uh, because they're really not doing for themselves. And, and you know, you, you hope that your kids are not that way. But there are an awful lot of folks out there who who have children who are that way. And, and, you know, that's a that's a difficult situation because we love them despite themselves and we want to see them do okay despite themselves. And sometimes you just I guess we need good advice on how to kick them in the pants <laughs> without being put in jail, of course, you know, because there's other do-gooders out there who come after us if we 
actually treat them that way. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that, and family dynamics do play into many of these decisions. We're, we're going to continue our conversation right after this. I want to remind you that you can always go online to WGA Law. There you can find information about Bill. You can schedule an appointment to speak with him. You can also register for the seminars coming up on Wednesday, September 9th. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us. We're doing this session remotely, Bill. Usually we've uh, – for the last few months, we've been recording at your office. But today you're uh, on location at the beach and uh, I'm here in the studio. So uh, we're making this magic happen and we're talking about gifting. And you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, well, uh, how does gifting relate to asset protection? But uh, Bill, it, it – it can be very important. No question about it. So let's talk about taxes as it relates to gifting. Uh, and, and even, and some folks might think, well, I'm just have modest wealth. I don't have to worry about taxes relating to gifting. But the truth is everyone has a potential issue depending on whether we structure gifts correctly or we mess it up. And so uh, let's talk about some of the basics because you have, you know, you do have something called gift tax. You have another tax called estate tax. You have generation skipping tax uh, and you have income tax. And within income tax, you also have what's called capital gains tax. Uh, And for a lot of property that can be gifted, capital gains can actually rear its head. Uh, so, um, and for most of us, gift taxes are not an issue. And the reason they're not an issue is because under the gift tax system, each of us has an exclusion of up to $15,000 of gifting per person. So what that means is that each one of us can gift as many people as we know, $15,000, and we're not even required to file a gift tax return. So basically anything under $15,000 each year, we don't have to worry about it at all, at least not as it relates to the tax system. Now, you know, I was talking about seniors have to worry about gifting. The Medicaid rules don't have any kind of gift exemption or exclusion. So every penny of a gift made to a child or grandchild will, over the five years before filing for a Medicaid application, will be added up and sanctioned. Now, they're not supposed to add up those historical gifts. Um, in other words, if you normally give a 50 or or $100 gift for uh, anniversaries and birthdays and things like that, they're not supposed to count those against you. But 
most of the time they will count them against you and you have to argue with them to, so that they don't count them against you, which is pretty sad. But the bottom line is how many of us give away $15,000 a year? Uh, not many of us. So like I said, when it comes to gift taxes, it's not an issue. Now, if we make a big gift uh, to any one person, and, and there's also where if we're married, our spouse uh, together, uh, can we can make a gift of $30,000 because it's $15,000 each. Now, a lot of folks think if you receive a gift, a large gift, that the beneficiary of that gift has to file uh, the gift tax return. And that's not true. It is not the receiver of the gift that files the gift tax return. It's the person who makes the gift who has to file the gift tax return. And that's the person who actually owes the tax, not the person who receives the gift. The gift is income tax free and it doesn't really matter what type of gift it is. There, it is not a taxable event. So when you receive a gift or you receive an inheritance, that in most states is not a taxable event. It's not a taxable event for, for uh, the federal. Uh, and in North Carolina, it's not a taxable event in the state. Now, in some states, they have what's called an inheritance tax. And then so in those states, uh, the person receiving the inheritance might be liable uh, for uh, a payment of tax, but we don't have to worry about that in North Carolina. Now, what a lot of folks don't realize is, at least right now, none of us, even if even if we make a huge gift to our child or grandchild or anybody else, we might have to file a gift tax return, but the likelihood of having to pay tax is slim and none. Now, why is that? It's because over and above, our $15,000 exclusion, each one of us right now has a gift tax exemption, a lifetime exemption of over $11.4 million. So most of us could give everything we have away five, six, 10 times and not have to pay a nickel of gift tax. <laughs> so, uh, that that's important for folks to know, because even if we file a gift tax, we use part of our exemption. And let, let's say we give uh, a gift of $100,000 to our child. Well, first of all, 15000 is not counted because that's excluded. So we have we file a gift tax return and let's make it easy. This was a cash gift. And so we show that we made a gift of $85,000 on our uh, on the gift tax return. And what that means is we either pay the tax for that amount of money or we use our exemption. Well, duh, we're going to use our exemption. So what does that actually do? It reduces our estate tax exemption. So Except in uh, in rare years, the estate tax and the gift tax are tied together. So if you make a major gift, it reduces how much you can uh, 
uh, give away uh, estate tax-free at your death to your children. Um, and then generation skipping tax also falls in there as well if you make it to your grandchildren. That's, uh, but again, all three of those taxes have the same exemption amount. So it makes it real easy to figure out what you're doing as it relates to uh, gift taxes versus estate tax. But like I said, that's an issue for the ultra wealthy. It's not an issue for the great majority of us. Now, also, it, it uh, you know, for those who are ultra wealthy, making $15,000 gifts to every child and every grandchild is a no brainer because that's in essence free gifting that costs them nothing and should be done. And, and in fact, um, you can even create an irrevocable trust uh, for your spouse and make a $15,000 gift each year to your spouse, which comes out of your estate. It's not part of her estate. You make it to your spouse and your children in such a way that the trust is, is not considered part of your spouse's estate. So it's a great way to, to over time reduce your uh, estate, potential estate tax liability. Now, for those who listen carefully, and I realize that most of us don't listen carefully, uh, that's the bane of our existence. We, we talk and we, we don't listen the way we should. Uh, that's one thing, I, Jason, I, I, I try very hard. That's one of the things that I think is important in life, and that is to listen to people. Uh, you know, uh, the, every family that we talk to, very unique, and we want to structure our plans uh, for their unique situation. And the only way to know about that is to listen very carefully of what they're telling us and and then pry uh, to and, and to find out all of the particulars um, uh, and hopefully that it's shared with us so that we can make plans that work that way. Uh, okay, so in fact, for those who do listen carefully, you probably heard me talk about slats, which is um, uh, an irrevocable trust uh, that we create for the benefit of our spouse and family. Uh, and that's exactly one of the things that uh, we talk about in terms of, of folks who, now, the folks who are not ultra wealthy don't need to do that unless, uh, so the ultra wealthy should be doing that for sure. And um, the others, who are looking for asset protection, you know, a slat is an asset protected uh, trust. And, and, and for those who don't remember what slat means, it's a spousal lifetime asset protection trust. Um, and so, um, so folks who are very sensitive towards creditors and worried about liability, that is the way you use a gift in order to create something that is off the books for creditors that they can't, can't reach it. Now, most people use those trusts for actually the estate tax planning rather than asset protection, but 
you do both at the same time, which is, is a good thing. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize is, you know, because a lot of folks mistakenly say, I want to give my house or I want to give my farm to my child or my children in order to protect it. Now, that is one of the riskiest things people can do, uh, particularly if it's an outright gift. In other words, I want to get it out of my state. I want to uh, give it to them. So if I need Medicaid after five years, uh, and of course, you have to recognize that that is a sanctionable transfer penalized. And until after five years has expired, you're screwed in terms of getting Medicaid. So, um, but people want to do it anyway. And so what are the risks? Well, first risk, of course, is a Medicaid risk uh, if you need care within five years. So the older you get, in, in other words, for somebody who's 75 and in good health, that's less risky than it is for somebody who's 85 and, and starting to go downhill and worried about needing uh, Medicaid in the future. If, so there are lots of dynamics when it comes to that. Uh, but here's the thing. If you make the gift to your child, you, the other risk is so oftentimes your children have much riskier lifestyles than we do. Most seniors don't have much risk. You know, we don't do anything. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, but children uh, oftentimes have very risky lifestyles. And, and the riskier lifestyle means that your property is at a greater risk of loss from a lawsuit. Now, uh, but beyond that, the biggest risk for all of us is taxes. You know, none of, I mean, if we can avoid tax, that's a good thing. Well, here's the bad news. If we make a gift of our home or farm outright to our child, and then we need to sell it to, to take care of ourselves, well, the child can sell it, but when we made the gift, we have also given them our income tax basis. And what that basically means, because most of the things we try to give away are highly appreciated. You know, we, we, we've had our farm for 50 years, or we bought our home 35 years ago. It's a lot more valuable now than when we acquired it. So what that means is the child, if it's sold during our lifetime, the child has to pay capital gains tax, a lot of income tax, and it's only the net after tax that we can use to support ourselves. And that's if they give it back to us, which they might not. So, so the bottom line is that type of gift is extremely risky when it comes to taxes. The other bad thing is if we die and we've already given away this property they don't get, uh, in other words, if they sell it after we die, they still pay the capital gains tax. So oftentimes by giving it away, you've created tax liability that might be fifty, dollars $100,000 or more that they would not have paid if they had inherited it. Now, some folks have heard me talk about step up in income tax basis. Well, that's why they don't have to pay because we get a step up fair market value at death 
a basis so there's no gain when we sell the property, so no income tax, no capital gains tax. So I know we have to take a break, but these are real important uh, factors for folks to understand uh, when they're thinking about major gifting. If you're in a situation where you can give a major gift, speak to a professional before you do so. Understand the ramifications of doing that. Schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. There you can schedule an appointment to speak with him. You can also call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. Throughout the show, you've heard Bill mention uh, the impact of the Medicaid look back. If you're in a situation or you have a loved one in a situation where long-term care may be an issue and you want to know if assistance could be uh, something that fits you, Attend Bill's seminar. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button. It's free to register. The next set of seminars are coming up on Wednesday, September 9th. Go online to WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong alongside Bill Alexander. You can always find information about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Bill, we're having a conversation all about gifting, and there's, there's just a lot of ramifications here that people need to consider if they are considering making a major gift. Absolutely. And so now I want to basically circle back to gifting as it relates to Medicaid. And so because there's so many folks, you know, I hate to say it, but a large percentage of us will eventually need nursing facility care. And I hate that. I I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Uh, But the fact is, is that there are a lot of folks in nursing homes. There's a high percentage of folks that eventually uh, have no choice, uh, but they end up in nursing care. And so one of the things that helps us protect assets when a person needs nursing care is if, they're, if they are married Uh, One of the Medicaid rules that confuses people is because is how gifting can be structured. Now, one of the key Medicaid rules is that there is no penalty for gifting to your spouse. Now, to be qualified for Medicaid, they look at resources of both spouses, but it does make a huge difference of which spouse owns the asset. And so in Medicaid planning, where we are actually helping a family uh, qualify for eligibility when it comes to Medicaid, the first thing that we want to do, if we have the ability to do it, is to transfer all of the assets that we can transfer to the what's called the community spouse, the healthy spouse. Um, and so that helps us in, in a lot of different ways because the healthy spouse 
can actually have a good bit of, of assets uh, while the sick spouse can go on Medicaid and be cared for in a nursing facility. Uh, there's also some Medicaid waiver programs uh, 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 that allow a person not to have to be in a facility, but that's something for another show. But uh, the, the rules have to be Medicaid facility rules uh, for middle-class folks to qualify for them. And uh, But the point is, is we have to have the ability to transfer property from the sick spouse to the healthy spouse. Now, that's fine if the sick spouse is still lucid and has the ability to sign the documents, but oftentimes that's not the case when they're real sick. And when it's not the case, then the ability to move property from one spouse to the other will depend on the power of attorney. And, you know, it happens all the time, and I preach this and I preach it, and I think I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm really not. I talk about how important that general durable power of attorney is because the thing that folks do not realize is the fact that the, the great majority of powers of attorney, even those that are done by attorneys, in other words, you've gone to an attorney, you paid a bunch of money for your documents, you have a general power of attorney. Well, here's the bad news for seniors anyway, if that general durable power of attorney was not done by an elder law attorney with Medicaid planning and or asset protection planning in mind, that power of attorney is not going to be structured so that you can transfer everything from one spouse to the other. You know, one of the big, I mean, the first thing that most people want to do once they've talked to us anyway, is to move the home from both names to the name of the healthy spouse. Now, there's another piece of, of, of legal documents that are real important there because once you've done that, if you can do it, is then you got to change the last will and testament for the healthy spouse because right now that spouse is will says at my death, give it all to my, my spouse. And so, obviously, you don't transfer it to one spouse just so you can die and give it back. <laughs> so, you, you, we use a supplemental needs trust in the will to create a vehicle that is asset protected that will supplement the needs of a person on Medicaid, keep them on Medicaid, and protect all the property for the family upon the death of the uh, sick spouse that's on Medicaid. But it's that general durable power of attorney that allows you to initially transfer the property from the sick spouse to the healthy spouse. And if you don't, and if you have a, a, a loved one who is not lucid, can't, doesn't have the capability of signing a deed to the house or, or helping to transfer the property over to the community spouse, then you end up having to go to court and get a judge's permission to do it. A lot of folks don't realize you can do that, uh, but we do it all the time because we see so many cases where people don't have the right documents uh, for their age, if you will. I mean, a, a regular power of attorney is fine when you're 50 years old or even 60 years old, but once you get to a point where you're, 
um, you're a real senior. <laughs> then, and I say that because I got my AARP letter when I turned 50, and boy, was I PO'd at that, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where what are they? What, why are they trying to offend me? I'm I'm not a senior. I'm only fifty years old. But <laughs> but when when you really feel like you're a senior, you should have different documents. Okay, so whenever that is for you, um, if it's fifty, fine. Get get new legal documents. But whenever you feel like a senior, you need new legal documents and come to me. That There you go. <laughs> go see Bill. Give him a call. 919-256-7000 to schedule an appointment. 919-256-7000 or go online to wgalaw.com. If you joined us uh, midway through the show, beginning of the show, we were talking about how uh, Bill is utilizing Zoom. So if you want to still practice social distancing, but you're still interested in receiving a consultation, Bill can accommodate you that way. Again, wgalaw.com or call 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bill, we're uh, we're wrapping up our discussion when it comes to gifting, and we've hit on a lot of important topics. But I know you have a, a parting shot or two before we head out. Well, we still have uh, plenty of time to talk about certain types of gifts. I mean, recognizing what we've been talking about the whole time is uh, some of the issues that you have to consider when you're making major gifts to your children or grandchildren. But if if you uh, have looked at those dynamics and you have the ability to make gifts and you want to make gifts, then uh, some of the things that I like to talk about with my clients has to do with what gifts? What are the 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 gifts that can do most uh, for our our children and uh, or grandchildren? Okay, so what are some of the things that I think we? One of the dynamics that uh, sort of the knee jerk for a lot of grandparents is we want our to help our grandchildren uh, with their education. So the first thing they look at is what's called a 529 plan. And it's okay. I mean, I'm not a big advocate of 529 plans because the investment opportunities inside those plans are relatively limited. Plus, you have to use your $15,000 annual exclusion gifting in order to do it. Uh, you don't get a tax break of any kind for doing it. So that those are sort of negatives. And the, the bad news is you lose control of that money, which I don't like. And, and so you don't get any significant tax relief uh, for having done it. There are other ways of skinning that cat that I think are better. And, and one of the things that you don't know when you set up a plan like that is, what will the child actually want to do when they get to the age 
you know, you don't know if they're going to want to go to college. You don't know what kind of school they want to go to, if they want to go at all or how well they do, or if they'll have a scholarship or what their needs are going to be, or whether they go to a public institution where the price isn't horrible, uh, or they go to a private school where the price is horrible. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is those are all unknowns when a kid is, is uh, uh, just born or very young. So there are different ways of structuring it. And quite frankly, for me, I have a much greater uh, concern for our children's ability to retire than go to college because uh, there are a hundred different ways of going to college if you don't have the money to do it but there's no way to retire if you don't have the money to retire even if retirement is forced upon you so i think we should really rethink how we're going to help our children or grandchildren and there are ways to structure some really wonderful um, investment opportunities that we can do for our children or grandchildren when they are very, very young. One of the things that I recommend to appropriate clients is purchasing a life insurance policy for our grandchildren uh, that is structured for cash value buildup so that it creates a retirement fund for uh, the child um, as it grows over a period of 70 years or up to 70 years bef uh, before they need to start taking money out for retirement purposes. And I don't have enough time to explain that, but that's a good thing. Another a gift that can be structured if we have older grandchildren or, uh, or children who are just starting to work, 17, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Well, they don't pay taxes. So a great gift that you can make to those children would be setting up a Roth IRA up to $5,000 a year uh, up to whatever they earn that year. Obviously, you can't exceed the 5000 but you know, if they make $2,000 a year and, and you can contribute 2000 for them into a Roth IRA, you know, that is a fabulous gift that, that will, will be, um, you, you can't beat early uh, transfers into a Roth IRA when your taxes are low. Unfortunately, most people wait till they're middle-aged and before they start thinking about it and then their taxes are high when they actually convert to an IRA up to a Roth and Roth. Yeah, those early contributions really do go a long way. So those are two wonderful gift ideas if you're in a position to do them. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, you can go online to WGALaw.com. There you can register for Bill's upcoming seminars happening on Wednesday, September 9th. These cover long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA, uh, and also Bill's seminar that has to do with asset protection and trust planning. They are free to attend. He's doing these virtually now as we uh, are practicing social distancing. Go online to WGALaw.com. 
click on the seminars button. You can also schedule an appointment to speak with Bill at WGALaw.com and view all the services that WG Alexander and Associates provides. If you want to call, the phone number is 919-256-7000. We are out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.